Welcome to Take Care. I'm your host, Syra Trejo. I'm a passionate advocate for mental and emotional health and fascinated by the power of people's stories. This podcast dives into stories across the spectrum of mental and emotional health. My goal here is to talk to experts and non-experts alike to hear the latest in the field and the stories of struggle and ultimately healing. Because when we have open conversations, the stigma changes. I hope that this podcast can help you. If you enjoy it, please remember to subscribe. Episodes drop every Monday. This episode's guest is Marina G. Marina is the host of the podcast Mind Bloom, a podcast exploring mental health and breast cancer awareness. Since October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I'm proud to feature Marina's story on Take Care. Marina is on quite the journey. She was recently diagnosed with the lobular carcinoma in situ, which is a type of breast change that can be seen when breast biopsies are done. According to the American Cancer Society, this condition creates cells that look like cancer cells and grow in the lining of the milk-producing glands of the breast, also called lobules. Known by the acronym LCIS, it is not considered to be cancer. However, if it's left untreated, having LCIS does very much increase the risk of developing invasive breast cancer later on. In fact, women with LCIS have about a 7 to 12 times higher risk of developing invasive cancer in either breast. Because of the elevated risk, close follow-up is crucial, as well as exploring options to reduce the risk of cancer. In addition to this health news, Marina has also been braving a new world, as the COVID-19 pandemic changed many parts of her life living in New York City. She shares what it's like navigating her LCIS diagnosis, keeping her mental health in check, and how sheltering in place led her to create a platform where she can share what's on her mind and interview people who make her mind bloom. Take a listen. So... Just tell me where you are right now, um, because we're obviously on different coasts. <laughs> I'm in New York City. I'm in Brooklyn. Uh huh. How long have you lived in New York? In New York, uh, uh, seven years. Seven years in August. So I'm still waiting for my green card. Mm-hmm. I'm still, yeah, it's, it's been complicated. Trump has not helped, definitely. Yeah. And it's every day is a struggle. So on top of uh, just this feeling of con- instability, constant instability due mm-hmm. to immigration. There's the panic disorder. There's the, there's the generalized anxiety. There's the being prone for depression. I don't think I've been clinically depressed mm-hmm. in a long time, but there's that propensity for sure that I always, you know, try to stay be aware and and on the lookout for because yeah. it's sneaky. It'll sneak up on you. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. And where um, yeah. did you move from when before you were in New York So, City? and I'm originally from Lisbon, from mm-hmm. Portugal. So I came here, yeah, seven years ago um, to do some some research. And, and then the, the rest is history. Then I got a job and the rest is, is history. I was furloughed and later uh, terminated from mm-hmm. my position. And so furloughed in March, you know, when the pandemic hit right after the pandemic hit and then uh terminated in uh, mid-may um so it's been and my my project mind bloom is also a a a kid of 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 the pandemic and of just end of the quarantine of just finding yourself at home with your thoughts (laughs) and being scared and not knowing where to turn on you know yeah you know I have another uh two roommates so I'm just in these four walls and I don't know what to do with myself oh my gosh I took (laughs) right I took on cooking I was the cook of the three of us Uh and that was awesome for three months and I still do uh but not not like I used to do it every day that was my routine at 5 p.m on the dot 
I head to the kitchen and that's almost like when my day starts because uh-huh. up until early afternoon, I just be on the news listening or watching Cuomo talk mm-hmm. about the numbers, the figures, the statistics, the, the curve. Um, intense. Yeah, all that intense. stuff just really took over our lives. And I can imagine, especially in New York City, because mm. um, we know that first wave is really, really hard. And, you know, over here on the West Coast, we saw it unfold. And California is like, we're doing so well. Yeah. We are really taking care of it. And then it hits us. Um, and so yeah. it's just it, it's this new reality we we live in and the situation it it's amazing to me how adaptive we are though because um, as human beings we're creatures of adaptation and so like you said you know you became the cook in your house I I live by myself but I was baking nonstop <laughs> and handing out yeah. like bake baked goods and stuff and that was my first three months of quarantine and then I was done and I was like oh well I want to do a podcast but um so it's funny yeah. we're kind of on that same wa- wavelength there we found um yeah. a way to externalize what was going on in here inside our heads and so yeah. tell me more about mind bloom how did that come to be yeah so um i had the name already um since maybe the second part of last year so 2019 i was playing already with that name and with a, a sort of different project i i had a job a nine-to-five so i was fully employed and i wasn't thinking of going anywhere <laughs> um so this this wouldn't be a full-time thing but i was thinking of creating starting, I guess, a nonprofit that would help women who first come to this country to help them navigate and give them some tools to navigate the strangeness and the cultural adaptation that 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 it that it's needed to, you know, when you're first an immigrant here. So it could be from just English lessons, but it could also be how to navigate an interview, how to work on your resume, because, you know, coming from Europe, we do CVs, not resumes, (laughs) and scramming everything into one page is is a skill that took me maybe two years to acquire. (laughs) And then I was thinking of having, so this would be a brick and mortar. Yeah. So I was thinking I was thinking of an, an, a lofty space with with li- different little niches where people could just gather and have a coffee and talk about their experiences. There would be a clothing closet um, for those who needed like clothes for interviews, mm-hmm. specifically for interviews and then workshops here and there of financial literacy, um, you know, the, the pitfalls of of credit which is so huge in this country. Yeah. And I, I struggled with it as well in the beginning because they give you a credit card. You don't even, and you just like go to Target. Yeah. That's it. Go, <laughs> go be happy. And I was happy. Yeah, go <laughs> consume, consume. Yeah. <laughs> go consume, consume. And coming from other places is not necessarily the same way. So I thought of all that, even abuse, domestic abuse, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. So, I mean, the sky was the limit, really, because I wouldn't be teaching this, obviously. I would just be uh, supervising, uh, coordinating, bringing guests on Mm -hmm. to give these workshops and to talk about these topics. Um, So that was the plan. And I had already, I was playing on my free time with the website. So I'm I'm very inventive and just very creative. And that was my outlet for for a few months. And then uh, I... I guess I just put it aside for a minute or two while the 
like March, April, the pandemic really hit. I don't, I think you would say the same thing. I did not have a brain. Like there was no, nothing I could do with my, my brain, my mm. mind, other than cry and watch G Governor Cuomo on, on YouTube and, and listen, speak to the family back home because mm -hmm. I'm the only one here. Mm. And they were... Uh, also, um, you know, it was also terrible in Europe, as you know, yeah. but um, they were terrified for me as well. And so for those few months, no, I did not think of Mind Bloom. And then in June, I went in for I went in for six months follow ups. Mm -hmm. And I will I can t talk more about this. But due to my condition, I have to do uh, breast scans every six months. Mm -hmm. So I had had my scans in uh, December. So June was the next time to go in. And w after the scans, I got called to do a biopsy to go again and have a biopsy because they saw something suspicious mm -hmm. in the images. Um, you know, at which point I was just like, okay, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> enough already. <laughs> yeah. So this is coming after... A intense global pandemic that's hitting your city especially hard you're already trying to navigate being alone in this country essentially with family back yeah. home and then my um, terminated from my job in may yeah and yes. um and now and the health, riots and yeah and the riots and there's there's all these things in june yeah in june that's popping up um yep. with with racial justice and everything and then personal health news that is um, just really intense to hear. Where did that yeah. take you? To anger. Mm. To anger, to sugar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and to luckily, I'm, I'm accompanied for the last five years, I've had I've had a psychiatrist and mm. I've had, uh, I've had recently a therapist. And uh, I'm on medication mm -hmm. and I know all the things now about self-care and triggers and what triggers me and all that. Yeah. So they were all very supportive that I should, that I should, I could sit with my anger. It's yeah. okay. And if you, you know, if it's, it won't kill you either, if you eat your sugar for a minute, I mean, it's not like mm -hmm. something, you know, but it's okay. Yeah. All the things are okay because there's a lot going on. Yeah. You know, and also if I don't feel the pressure to get off the sugar, then I will myself ease out of it. Yeah. You know, it only also I can only take so much. Yeah. You know? And that's and that's a, the a coping mechanism, right, that we we often talk about on this podcast is, um, you know, when we are feeling uncomfortable things and there's anxiety, um, the body tends to go to carbs and sugar, especially as women. Yeah. Like we have this yeah. like kind of, you know, I don't know what it is, but at least for me, I know my mom could tell that I wasn't doing well when I first started kind of like being really anxious and, and, and being depressed because I would go out like middle of the day to go get candy. And just like have like a bag of candy on me and I was eating more and more um, because for some people they don't eat for some people we do eat. And so um, that's interesting that you that you mentioned that. And so where how did you like launch into getting the support that you needed at that moment? And how did you allow yourself to this is a twofold question. How did you <laughs> sit with those feelings and then how did you get the support that you needed? So how did I sit? Like I said, with I guess I went to my to my coping mechanisms, um, my habitual 
coping mechanisms. And you have to understand that when you get called for a biopsy and you've had, and you know, you have issues in your breast tissue, whatever, I mean, whatever part of your body mm -hmm. it is really, you are caught in this whirlwind and there's really not a lot of time to think yeah. or to process or to sit with whatever it is. You're called to go in for a biopsy. You go in for the biopsy and then you have, you have the results of the biopsy and then you have surgery. I mean, it just does not stop. Right. Wow. So I went in, I live in Brooklyn, my hospital is in Manhattan, and I went in the week of the riots. Mm. Which, so it was, I think, the first time I also left my neighborhood, just my, my little zone here of like a two mile radius, let's say, around my house. So I'm doing the masks, I'm doing the subway in New York City. I don't really know how to navigate all of that. And on mm -hmm. top of it, there's there's the riots and you see um, um, wood and uh, cardboard just blocking all the window. Yeah, they're boarded up and stuff. Board yeah. Yes, I never know the, the exact expression, but yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So that they don't get looted. So seeing all that was a shock as well mm -hmm. as seeing Manhattan empty. Yeah. Hmm. Empty. It's it's incredible. And you, I, I saw to the um, the cops, the 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 trucks, mm -hmm. the cops fully loaded and with helmets and with machine guns. And it was very, oh, very, very complicated. Yeah. So so that was the day of. So I came home. I actually recorded it. I had the um, uh, I don't know what it is, the, the, the insight. I don't know what it was uh, to record my feelings, to talk just to the phone. Yeah about my feeling, like to journal, let's say, my mm -hmm. feelings as I was going into the biopsy and then as I came out of, of that. And I used them later in the podcast to, mm -hmm. to reflect on, on, on those two moments. But anyway, so I came home from the biopsy and I, and I, ha I knew I had uh, from five to 10 days to wait for the results. Um, and in between those five and 10 days, I started Mind Bloom. Wow. Don't ask me. Yeah, I, <laughs> I did not have a microphone yet. Uh -huh. I only got one for the second episode, not the first. But I just knew deep inside, I needed to talk. I needed mm -hmm. to speak. I needed to vent. I needed to let things out. Um, I did. I didn't have a format. I didn't know it was going to be an inter an interview based podcast. Yeah. I did not even know people would be eager and just interested and in, to come on yeah. and be a guest, which is something we can talk about as well. It just blows my mind every single day. Yeah. And and here we are at it's going to be i think episode 15 so mm -hmm. it's been 15 weeks already yeah. and you've got a thousand listens this Yay! week right <laughs> i saw that you saw that yeah congratulations that's so Thank you. so awesome and you know it's to me it's mind blowing it really is because um i guess for certain people like you and i it just has to come out somehow <laughs> you know, the ex like externalizing whatever is going up, uh, going on in our mind and having to just like be an advocate for this stuff just kind of happens. Yeah. And so obviously you were going through something really intense. You create this project that amplifies what mm -hmm. you're going through. And hopefully other people are able to listen and kind of be like, I'm not alone. 
and kind of be like, okay, this happens to other people. How has that helped you as you continue navigating this? Exactly. So the motivation behind Mindbloom is twofold. Definitely the aspect of helping others was there too. I thought to to myself, I thought if I can help one person, Mm -hmm. um, I will have done my job, you know, because there's so much insecurity and fear of when you go into a biopsy, you don't, for, for example, just, just to name one of the procedures. So I wanted to, and that's why I taped it to, to, you know, how long I spent in there, what, not what exactly, because you can never describe exactly what happens, but you know, what types of biopsies there are, what types of, so that at least the fear of the unknown can be mitigated. And I try on, on Instagram as well to post things like um, what to expect at a, at a breast uh, follow-up, yearly follow-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, just know that it's okay if they ask that you do a, a mammogram. It's mm-hmm. okay if they ask, even for a biopsy, it's okay because they just want to check yeah. and make sure that everything is okay. So yes, that was the, the second aspect of Mind Bloom. I did not know it was going to have this reception, but mm-hmm. I'm very, very pleased. If, if it's okay with you, um, because you, you are very open, right? Um, yeah. It, what is it exactly? So you've mentioned that this is an official breast cancer diagnosis. However, yeah. it's preventative. Um, and you still have to see an oncologist and you still mm-hmm. are, you know, going through those kind of steps. So tell us yeah. more about it. I will. And uh, and if you guys head to Mind Bloom, you can also hear Absolutely. <laughs> all, of, all of these stories and these stories told by other women, too. Mm-hmm. So I was diagnosed in November with something uh, with an acronym, which is LCIS, and it stands for lobular carcinoma in situ or in situ. Mm-hmm. In the so lobular, just because it grew, some these cells grew in the lobules of the breast tissue, and uh, carcinoma. I mean, it's a very scary word yeah. that stands for cancer. Uh, and then in C2, meaning uh, non-invasive. So it did mm-hmm. not move and it did not spread elsewhere. This is, though, by the medical community now, not considered cancer. Uh, it is rather considered a marker, so a very high risk mm-hmm. marker for breast cancer in the future. Mm-hmm. So women, women, I mean, it could be men too, but you know, just per- people who have been diagnosed with LCIS have a very high up to, it could be 40, 50% uh, rate of incidence of breast cancer in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the normal population is at two, three yeah. percent. So it's, it's very, very high. It's actually interesting in my county where I live, the incidence of uh, breast cancer, I believe, is about 10% in women here in Marin wow. County. Um, so that's just like a little side note, but it wow. it's very interesting. Um, but sorry, back to you. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. It should be interesting also to understand why. I will look in, I yeah. will, I will, yeah, dig out. Yeah. Dig out. <laughs> hey guys, Syra here with some fact checking. For about 20 years, Marin County accounted for extremely high rates of breast cancer, and at one point had some of the highest rates of the disease in the nation. In 2015, after tracking and studying incidence rates, the Marin County Department of Health and Human Services found a continued downward trend in rates and mortality, on par with rates in the rest of the state of California. 
Um, so I so for the treatment, the protocol for this uh, diagnosis is you still need to have surgery. It's called a lumpectomy because mm -hmm. it's a little lump they find. Um, uh, so they want to remove that lump and they want to remove it with clear margins to make sure everything around it is okay you yeah. know not benign not not malign um so i had that surgery in december um and the let's say the course of treatment let's say it's you know follow up every six months which i was already accustomed to because i had had other complications uh before um but also a hormonal therapy that is called in for people women still not menopausal it's called tamoxifen so mm -hmm. it's a um an estrogen uh receptor which i i don't know if i'm explaining this super accurately but whatever so basically can't uh, breast cancer feeds uh, the, not all kinds but the majority of the kinds of breast cancer feed off of estrogen mm -hmm. which our bodies produce up until menopause mm -hmm. right so they would give you the idea is that they give you this hormone to block the estrogen from coming into the um, breast area into the, the cells of the breast tissue um, which has other side effects so even though it decreases by 50% the chance of breast cancer, it increases the chance of uterine cancer. Oh my gosh. It increases <sighs> the chance of blood clots. What else? Early menopause mm -hmm. uh, with the hot flashes and everything that, that comes with, with early menopause, with, with menopause. With the symptoms and everything. Yeah. All the symptoms. Uh, I guess depression is a, a big one. And I just interviewed someone on, for my on mind bloom that had to go off tamoxifen because they struggle with mental illness mm -hmm. and it threw them into a uh, a catastrophe of depression wow oh my gosh exactly yeah and it's a medically induced menopause so mm -hmm. so i spoke with again part of the treatment is that you see an oncologist mm -hmm. to explain to you what it is that you have that you don't have, that you don't have yet, mm -hmm. but you could have in the future. And what what are the treatments? So the treatment would be that. And I told her, I saw her in maybe January, February. So right after the surgery, uh, and she, as I expected, she uh, offered tamoxifen. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to give it a minute to think about it because this is all very scary like okay yeah. breast cancer decreases but then you're telling me about uterine cancer i know i don't know if i'm ready for all this mm -hmm. uh and she was okay with it she said you know it's it's your choice and we can always talk, talk about this later yeah. and yeah so i'm still not on that drug and the other thing they suggest that is on the table and again it's the woman's decision mm -hmm. is um prophylactic double mastectomy mm -hmm. so if you remove the cause the problem right the root cause of mm -hmm. the problem it decreases your chances of developing breast cancer not by 100 percent, mind you interesting i didn't know that mm -hmm. yeah but still because there's always there's always something that's left over and there's also the lymph nodes mm -hmm. and so there's yeah it's or, or you could um and I've been learning this recently, you could have breast cancer that is that shows up immediately in your liver. So that has metastasized. Mm. 
de novo it's called it's never you've never had breast cancer and all of a sudden you have you know it spread out even before you were diagnosed interesting oh my gosh i know i know just a lot to take in there marina that's a lot and so obviously um you are very uh well researched on this you know (laughs) by experience and this is something i've also experienced like intellectualizing the issue has helped me Mm. so much um and just launching into whatever it is that afflicts us and just learning more and more and that can be overwhelming in of itself and so something that kind of popped into my head as you were you were mentioning all these things is that this is a high risk marker for breast cancer in like you said, the medical community has shifted away from not calling it breast cancer. How has that affected how you see it? Um, because you're going through treatment and you're going through all these things. And essentially, like, let's say you go into like a, a breast cancer survivor or a breast cancer like support group. How does that kind of change um, how you uh, see your, your condition? I am so thankful you're asking that question. That is the million dollar question. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and I think it's also at the root of why I started Mindbloom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's very complicated because I am struggling with all the medical exams and, you know, a double mastectomy is nothing any woman would ever, ever, yeah. ever yeah. want in their lives. And it's in my horizon. Who knows, you know, mm-hmm. breast cancer is in my horizon. Early menopause is my, in my horizon. So this is Yes, all very complicated. So I started Mind Bloom to process these things, to think out loud about them. And then soon enough, I realized that if I brought other women to speak about this, not just this, but other, you know, just bre- breast cancer in general, that that would be great. So I started re- noticing that the community that I uh, found on Instagram, mostly on Instagram, mm-hmm. is um, a, bre- a breast cancer community of women who have had breast cancer. Mm-hmm. At which, and I, I'm starting to interview them, and not just interview them, but become friends with them on mm-hmm. um, on Instagram, and you know, checking in here and there. Um, and this was going both ways, and imposter syndrome kicked in yeah yeah very strongly Mm. and i but you know uh, was suffering from it for for a few weeks for a few weeks because mind bloom is only three months old so it couldn't have been a lot but i was like oh my gosh what am i doing now everyone thinks i have breast cancer or i've had breast cancer and have i had breast cancer? i don't even know what this means I know I am in pain, like I am emotionally in distress and I need a community as much as, you know, s- someone who's going through a double mastectomy is, mm-hmm. but I don't know if this is my community. So yes, a big, big mess going on in my head until I spoke with uh, a good friend. I've, I've, you know, I, uh, this great friend friendship developed on Instagram and we were zooming, um, and I told her that I said, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that that, you know, because I never said, you know, up until that point on 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 Mindbloom, I hadn't said I had it. And I hadn't said I didn't have it. Yeah. I mean, it's also not, it's also not, I don't need to call it anything, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's a podcast where I interview other women. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so I I was very conflicted about all that. And I told her, you know, I had LCIS, I did not have 
you know breast cancer let's say and and in but the course of treatment is such and such and such and she was like what are you talking about and I said you know I feel like a fraud at this point because I don't know what to make of all this and she was like what are you talking about no 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 you are a breasty just like just like the rest of us Mm -hmm. breasty is what you call in the community you know someone who's 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 got issues with breast cancer because a BRCA person, BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene mutation Mm -hmm. person uh, who's has never been diagnosed with breast cancer. They just know that uh, they are at high risk of breast cancer. They're a breasty too. Yeah. Oh, that's a great term. I've never heard that before, but that's wonderful. Yeah. Isn't it? And then they make all these puns around it, like for the breast of us (laughs) and breasties for life. And it's just so cute. So cute. So, so she was the first person to tell me, are you kidding me? No, no, you're one of us. You deserve as much comfort and and solidarity and emotional support as Mm -hmm. any of us. And then I kept talking with other women and the same the same exact reaction they're like what are you talking about if you have to be on tamoxifen you're one of us Mm, if you have an oncologist you're one of us yeah yeah and how did that feel for you to kind of because imposter syndrome is very very interesting um, Mm. because I think a lot of us experience it in different manners and um and once it kicks in, like you said, it's just kind of like, oh my God, am I a fraud? What am I doing? Like, I don't count enough, you know, to be part of this community or I'm not doing enough. Um, and so how did that feel for you when you kind of got the validation from this community, from a person that you developed a friendship um, in the community? How did that feel for you? It still took a few days. It mm-hmm. still took a few days. I thought, ah, oh, it's just, it, she said this, she's yeah. nice. She's my friend now. She's being nice. It took me a few days, but going on and and on uh, as the days went by I got more um reassured I don't think I feel it anymore Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. I think these relationships I've established are frank and honest and and and, um and I think they wouldn't lie to me necessarily and yesterday I think it was yesterday I interviewed for Mindbloom a breast surgeon and uh, the, the initial plan was really to speak about LCIS. And again, mm-hmm. because I can't explain it as well as a, a breast surgeon. Yeah. Right. And um, so she explained it like the ABCs of it all. Mm-hmm. And why is it a marker? Why is it not considered breast cancer? All those little things. And at the very end of the interview, she said, but, you know, you are going through a very rough patch this is as extreme and as complicated and as triggering Mm -hmm. psychologically as as you know as as just having any other medical condition you're constantly being followed up and constantly just yeah Mm -hmm. so I feel I feel better Yeah. yeah yeah and it's it's interesting whenever you know a lot of us go through things it's often like we we can wonder like is this is this as bad as other people is this um should I be feeling this way when other people may have it worse and that's a very natural thing to wonder and also can be very destructive because it minimizes what we're going through you know whatever we go through is our experience and it's hard to to try to 
pretend or feel like um, it's not as bad as other people's issues. Um, and, you know, it, it, it can take us out of our window of tolerance. Um, and so I'm curious how kind of anxiety um, popped up for you when, when you got the initial kind of uh, diagnosis and then as you've kind of moved through it. You don't really process much. You don't really, it's someone calls it another, a breasty friend of mine call, mm. who also has a podcast. She calls it a, just a train wreck. It's just, you get on this or a roller coaster or whatever you want to, mm. that's very tumultuous. You stop listening to what people are saying to, to you in, mm. in regards to the, whatever it is that you're going to do next to treat it. Mm. Um, and you get very quickly into uh, this survival mode yeah. of checking the boxes because, mm-hmm. you know, you have to schedule the surgery. You have to, to have um, an appointment, a pre-op uh, appointment where they, you know, take your blood and do all that jazz. And you don't, it, I think from my perspective that everyone around me was more anxious than I was. Yeah. You were in that kind of like survival mode, just go move what I need to do through it. Like not processing yet. Yeah. 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 And I, and I've spoken with other women as you can imagine, and Mm -hmm. they all say the same thing. Mm -hmm. They say, first of all, they couldn't hear when they're in the doctor's office. They can't hear what's being told to them. Mm They hear the words, but it doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. And that, that it's good that that was not the case with me, but it was um, good that they had other people with them in um, the at the appointments. And I was by myself the whole time. Oh my gosh, so, Marina, I, that's so hard. I will not, Ugh. I will not do it again yeah. <laughs> by myself. I've learned now to ask for help and to, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but what was I going to say? And, and they, 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 they shared the same experience. You don't hear anything. You just want it out of your system. And it wasn't, yeah, I think with me as well, it's after when you're back home from surgery and, and all that, that you, that, that it kind of sinks in. Yeah. yeah. It's and like that time of... to settle and, and start to process and start to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how was that for you? Um, you know, I have to say with five years of having a psychiatrist mm-hmm. to deal, to work through a uh, panic disorder and generalized anxiety, I am much, 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 much better at dealing with anxiety and, and, and just the, 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 the things that life throws at you. Mm-hmm. So I can say that I was in a bad place or in a dark place. Mm-hmm. I was very accompanied by by my doc, by that doctor. Um, she called me the day of the uh, surgery, for instance, I surrounded that that was smart. I surrounded myself with all the people who I knew was going, were going, were going to give me, you know, call me with best wishes yeah. and text me with best wishes and all that. So I had that. And I honestly just wanted to sleep. I just wanted to sleep. So I think I slept and slept and slept yeah. for, I asked for a leave of absence, a medical leave uh, from work for a few weeks after the surgery. And I slept. Yeah. I know I was exhausted because I could not write a type up an email. I could not, I did not have the energy yeah. to do that. Yeah. But with medication, I have to say, it's very hard to be back into that very red zone yeah. 
of sinking in and just mm-hmm. not coming out yeah. again. Yeah. And you, and you had that, that care and you'd been working on, on, um, you know, tackling the, the anxiety and, and the, and the panic, um, uh, because it's, it can be really scary when you don't have that kind of, um, I don't want to say like a steady zone, but like, uh, in my last, in my last podcast, my last episode, the guests talked about the medication brings you to the table. It has you kind of like set right there. Um, and so I'm really glad that you were able to have that, um, and had, you know, kind of the treatment of that under control. Um, cause I'm sure that that helped and didn't take you to a really, really deep place. That's hard to get out of. Um, yeah. Very, very hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, someone I was interviewing the other day, they're also on medication and they were saying, you know, sometimes I think about it and it's kind of vanilla. You're like, you don't really feel a lot mm-hmm. of the ups and of the downs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I sometimes think of coming out of it and whatnot. And I, I and then we just realized both. Um, look, I'll take I'll take the vanilla any any day <laughs> of the week. Yeah, I'll take it. The and you've you probably know what I'm talking about. A mm-hmm. panic attack is nothing you want to go back to. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Yeah. I will I do I will do anything in my power to not go back to that place. Yeah. Or the place where I don't get out of bed for days. Mm-hmm. For yeah. days. Yeah. And just to touch more on a panic disorder, this is something that I have struggled with. It is the sensation that you are dying or losing your mind going, um, I I don't like this term, but I'll say going crazy for, you know, for people, it's different. Um, you feel like you can't breathe. You feel like the world is just, you can't see your legs and fingers and toes go numb. Like there's different symptoms to it, but it's really, really difficult. Um, and so would you be okay just to talk a little bit about how you struggled with panic disorder and anxiety um, before you yeah. kind of got a hold on it? Yeah. Yeah. The last maybe 10, no, the, 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 the 10 years prior to the five years that I've been on medication, yeah. let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I do know what you mean. Yeah. I know those timelines like before, it's like before I got help, before I got the medication, yeah, before I yeah, did this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Let me put it in another in another way. Uh, the when I got in, I asked for help and I looked up for a psychiatrist and you know I recognized this this was taking over my life and it yeah. was not it was not normal, mm-hmm. which was a point of I, you know I could have gone <laughs> so much much sooner, but you don't know. Oh my you gosh, Marina, know. you are it's, exactly. It's like it's like you experience these things, and then it's like, oh, this isn't normal. Like I'm not supposed to freak out if I, you know, sit down to do an assignment, which is my how it manifested in me. I don't know how it did for you, but it's like yeah. I, I could have seen someone before, but we don't know. It's like it's we strange. Yeah. Anyway, so I didn't know. So the minute I come in and, or no, no, what what I was experiencing and feeling when I first saw my psychiatrist was I was a puddle. I did not know who I was. It did not have a name to myself. Yeah. I did not have, I was, a. I did not, yeah. I. That's the only description I can have. Mm-hmm. I was not a physical person. I did not have needs. I did not have once, mm-hmm. not much of an appetite mm-hmm. because I will rely on sugar for the ups and downs of life. Mm-hmm. But if I start sinking in, I lose. That's the first symptom. Yeah. I will not eat. Mm-hmm. And that is 
that is terrible yeah um because the sugar at least keeps you like in a rush right and in yeah. in a high and not eating at all then you just can't get out of bed mm-hmm. just anyway so um, interesting topics for a Saturday <laughs> I know it's you know, right now here in Northern California we finally have really nice weather um the smoke has cleared out most part and I'm here I am in my little my little dungeon just talking about the nitty-gritty but this is important stuff for people to hear it's really important, important. Yeah. um so my go-to of panic disorder is believe it or not thinking that I have breast cancer. I mean, how mm. crazy is that? No, because I've sense. always, yeah. <laughs> right? because I've always struggled and I've started my uh, exam, my annual exams mm-hmm. uh, way, way, way before a, a normal, when you know, what is recommended, which is at 40. I started early in my thirties doing this for other, you know, just other benign complications, but that Mm -hmm. they wanted to keep an eye on. So I'm no stranger to doctor's offices and mammograms and ultrasounds and even MRIs. I've done a few in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so my go to would be feeling a lump. And then that lump becomes my life and my obsession and my destroys my brain until the moment I'm I can't I can't operate I cannot function and that's interesting like um I I describe it and I've heard other people describe it and this it kind of helps me embody it it's like it's like the ripcord gets pulled out Mm -hmm. and we go full amygdala no (laughs) prefrontal cortex there's no logic there um and it's terrifying we go this like very this like very primal feeling um but I can see how something that's so personal and so related to, to physical health can take you into a, into the spiral of panic and anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was where I would go. Yeah. yeah. So I came in, I started my therapy with my psychiatrist at, at that point, I could not touch my chest area. I could not touch it. I could not in, in the shower. I could not go there. Yeah. I couldn't, I I wanted to rip them out. I didn't want this mass in my chest area. I did not want any of this. This was just where my all my anxiety uh, manifested, um, culminated, yeah. manifested, culminated. Yeah, mm, yeah. That's so difficult. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. So it got better. Maybe yeah. two years. Maybe maybe with two years of medication, not to mention the part where I did have to go for the follow ups. That was a whole like I needed two appointments, uh, psychiatric appointments a week instead of only one. And I needed. Oh, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's these safeguards we have to put in for ourselves because, you know, it's something that may seem, you know, for you, it was kind of routine to go uh, get checked up. um, And also you needed the support um, to, to have that, that, like be okay. And I totally like, we have different circumstances, but I totally understand that. Like, I remember for me, my, my panic manifests in a different way. And there was something I was working on and I was feeling, you know, all the panic and it was, I'd find myself in my bathroom floor, just like sobbing and I can't breathe. And at the same time, I'm having these emotions, like, why can't I get myself out of this? Like so much like this metacognition. Um, And I remember just having to call my therapist like three times that week and having to just get that support. But it happens to us. 
it's just it's really scary and some of some some of us our brains they kind of go that way um and so i'm really glad that you've been able to to have um more more control and management of that because it's very scary and Thank i you. and i know that um what you're doing with mind bloom it's it's all these life experiences that you've had are just you know, coming into this and being um, put out into the world. So that's wonderful. Mm. And so I think moving forward, where do you see Mindbloom going? I would like in an ideal world, mm-hmm. would like to make Mindbloom my, my, my life, my, my, my job, yeah, my profession. You know, it's come it's complicated. I don't know if that is going to be the case, mm-hmm. but, and then, I mean, speaking of mental health, talking about mental health and about breast cancer is, I realize now the only, like the, the thing I think I've been living up until this point, you know, it's yeah. the thing that, that makes the most sense for me. Yeah. And I'm, 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 I'm grateful. I'm thankful almost of the pandemic. I don't want to be misinterpreted, but yeah. it's almost, I'm almost thankful and thankful of the LCIS, you know, that it kind of moves you, puts the cogs moving into this direction of creativity and, and, and networking and meeting others community. Yeah. So, so well, yeah, that would be, that would be ideal. I would love that. I yeah. guess if people keep listening, keep listening. <laughs> I know everyone, <laughs> please keep listening. And I'll definitely have you linked in my show notes. I have a, a small, but, but a dedicated audience. Um, it grows, it grows. <laughs> it definitely it grows. does. And um, I just love that you have the intersection of mental health and breast cancer awareness um, at the, at the forefront of, of what you do and your episodes, you know, they very, you know, it's not just that, but you have all kinds of different guests. And so what are you looking forward um, to in, in interviews for, for future episodes? What do you, what topics do you want to cover? So October is coming up and mm-hmm. October is breast cancer awareness month. So I have already uh, my interviews scheduled and lined up. I think I'm going to do two interviews a week to two episodes a week for that month. Mm-hmm. And they all cover breast cancer in mm-hmm. one, one form or another. They're all very different because there's not one, one breast cancer. There's a multitude and also each person feels it and experiences it differently and the outcome is also different so i'll have and they're all taped by now so i have amazing interviews for october and i think i want to do two episodes because i want to honor all these women as fast as i can like i want them out their story out as fast as i can yeah so uh where can we find mind bloom you can find mind bloom on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest at MindBloomU. You can find my website at, uh, you know, the whole www.mindbloomu.com. You can also send me an email at info at mindbloomu.com. So everything MindBloomU, I was very lucky to um, to have this handle all free for myself. I it's know, all mine. lucky. <laughs> I've had to have all kinds of iterations of takecare.pod, podcast.takecare. <laughs> I was so so lucky I just took it I was like no this is mine (laughs) mind bloom you yeah so you can find me on all of those platforms I'm always very open to chat always dm me I'll always be there I'll always check in on you and yeah well I I love what I'm doing and I I hope to hear from all of you guys 
it's been wonderful having you on. Um, I appreciate your candor and um, just your willingness to share what you've been going through with with the world, with with people. And um, I hope that that listeners can know that this is okay. Whenever we find ourselves in difficult health situations or dealing um, with other really difficult things, it's okay to talk about it. Of course, with people we trust and that we're comfortable with, but it's it's so important because our voice matters. And so thank mm. you for sharing your story today on Take of Care. Course. My pleasure. Yeah, it's been wonderful. I, I, I want to invite you to come on Mind Bloom. Thank you. you. Like I would love to. I would love to. A little, a little take care and mind bloom crossover um, episode. And so uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, and I wish you the best and we'll be talking soon. Bye. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram at takecare.pod and at Twitter at takecare underscore pod. To support Take Care, please consider giving the podcast a five-star rating and leave a review. Quick disclaimer, I'm not a mental health professional, just an advocate and individual with a passion for mental and emotional health. The information and topics discussed on this podcast are for educational and informational purposes only. This podcast does not attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any mental or emotional condition or disease.